Good morning. My name is Jay Rosenthal. I'm the co-founder and president of The Business of Cannabis. This is BFC Live for Friday, July 24th, 2020. This and all other BFC Lives are available on our website at businessofcannabis.ca, as well as wherever you find your podcasts. Coming up, a conversation with Charles Vinay, the CEO of 48 North. It has been a busy week around these parts. Yesterday, we announced that Torque and Mains has become the official law firm of Business of Cannabis. That means on a regular basis, they will be sharing insights and analysis of legal issues to our audience. We have some upcoming events. Next Wednesday, July 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we have a Cannabis Forward Education Networking event called Can BC Lead Cannabis in Canada Again? It's presented by Robic. It'll be hosted by Council 45 in Vancouver. Two weeks from today, Friday, August 7th, we will have a Lunch and Learn with the team from Can Delta. Talking about, so you want to open a cannabis retail store? It's a Lunch and Learn, so there'll be a presentation and lots of time for Q&A. At the end of August, August 27th, with Diversity Talk, we will host a special Cannabis Forward Education and Networking event titled Social Equity in Practice. We encourage you to sign up for that. As always, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and on our website at businessofcannabis.ca. We want to thank our ongoing partners, BDSA, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmarks, Can Delta, and now Torque and Mains, and we are protected by our partners at Alcet. Now enjoy this conversation with Charles Renee, the CEO of 48 North. Have a safe weekend and stay well. Charles, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I was saying before we came on that we are now in mid-July. Yes. Last mid-July, uh, me and a couple people from the Business of Cannabis team were out on the good farm. So it's it's uh, we were outside then and we're outside now. I, I was but a, a twinkle in 48 North Side <laughs> at that point. I, I started August 12th of uh, 2019. Okay, so so uh, just about, the, not around, not the exact same time, but we were out there and uh, we're in the field. And on the way back, we recorded a little podcast in the car, mm-hmm. uh, me and the folks were on. And we said, you know, that to me, there's something special about being outside in a field of cannabis. Yeah. And there's something really authentic about that. And how's the outdoor coming? We'll start there. Well, I'll start by saying it doesn't get old. Right. right? I mean, you, you go there and it's funny, right? You, I, I remember in September driving to the farm in the field. It's just, you know, it just yeah. smells great. And I would it's go juicy. early in the morning yeah. and, you know, there'd be that sort of like that mist, that early morning mist off the dew. And the car vents would fill up and you would just smell it about, you know, it's two good. minutes away from the good farm. You go, hmm. Smells great. I'm yeah. getting close. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting close. I'm getting there. Um, farm's going really well. It's it's uh, it's so exciting what's going on this year. You know, I mean, the second year of cultivation is is a game changer. Yeah. Right? Last year, uh, th- it was completely unwritten, and it's not like we were the first ones to grow <laughs> cannabis outdoors. But in a regulated landscape under Health Canada guidelines and regulation. We were and the licenses the came time. like one day, but you had to start planting the next. Like I remember well, they came, last spring they were coming really. They came really late. Yeah. They came really late. And and so, yeah, it was it was a big scramble. And so this year, obviously, with the benefit of, of experience and just having a, a solid team, um, you know, before we came on, I told you I, 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 was, I was sitting on the back of the planter and I asked the team, you know, how many people came here or, or are returning from last year? And every hand went up. And, and it's, it's, it's so that, that experience counts for a lot. And, and our transition to regenerative agricultural practices is what's got me really excited because last year was about let's get plants in the ground. Let's talk about cost per gram. Let's talk about yield. 
Let's talk about all these things. But it was it was it was a numbers game, right? And and I want to be clear about that. That's still the conversation about a lot of outdoor growers, and and we we more than participated in starting it. But but this year we're taking a different approach, right? We're planting for what we can successfully commercialize. We're looking at the type of the quality of the product that we're getting out. So you know we've extracted a lot of distillate from last year. We've got a lot of distillate-based products that are moving really well. Mm. But this year, you know, we're really going for, and we hope to be at a better cost per gram and with a great yield, but, you know, we, we really want to preserve the terpene content. Where, where we fell down a bit was, was on the lack of licensed drying space. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've built a new hang drying facility that's there. You can, you can hang one day's worth of harvest. So basically what we're doing is we're hang drying everything, preserving the terpene content, really, but room by room. Whereas last year we were using hoop houses and, right. and you know, you're putting wet after dry. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's a different methodology that's really fine-tuned for outdoor drying. And we've got a grading system. There's a plan. There's a purpose. But then beyond that, you look, you know, and I mentioned the regenerative. Once you've got your, your, your base layers covered, then you can get to the exciting stuff. So regenerative is, is a concept that I was not familiar with. I was not a farmer before mm-hmm. I came to 48 North. Uh, I'm so Unlike me with my massive front yard farm. Yes, absolutely. It's very, it's very nice, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. You, know, you got some tomatoes, it, arugula. Listen, nothing to sneeze at. One if, pumpkin. If, if well. this camera had a 360 view, I think your it's I think literally the audience a, would be very literally impressed. a 10 by 10 plot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, nothing to sneeze. <laughs> at. But uh, but you know it's it, it's been amazing getting to know this. And so you know you look at traditional ag- agriculture and it's really a monoculture type of thing, right? So you're putting out right. one thing in the right. field and everything is is very extractive. Right? So you're taking nutrients from the soil, you're taking water, you're taking, and then you've got to fertilize, you've got to add things back in. And, and so we say we're transitioning to regenerative because you can't get there day one. Right, right, right. right? You're, you're, you are starting to put into place processes that are going to allow you to close the loop. So we've done things like plant 3,400 trees around the property. And the reason we've done that is, one, to provide some shade you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of wind coverage, pollen protection, et cetera, mm-hmm. over the years. But two is to rebuild an ecosystem and a wildlife habitat. So last year, we noticed uh, that uh, our aphids were getting eaten by ladybugs. We had spent three hundred thousand dollars. Okay, <laughs> we had spent three hundred thousand dollars on beneficial insects that we flew in from Holland. Right. Okay, so think. You of the think carbon. they could fly themselves? Just yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Want want. But you know, think of the carbon footprint mm-hmm, of that. Mm-hmm not to mention the cost, mm-hmm. of bringing in and putting sachets all throughout the field, and then you see a ladybug with nothing to do with the, with the globe-trotting right. beneficial insect right. that, that was native to the area that is now essentially acting as your natural pest control. So a light bulb went off in our, in our general manager, Sean Doring's head, and he said, hey, listen, if we actually have an existing wildlife habitat, and so, we, by the way, we spent, I think, $7,000 on beneficial insects this year because you need them in the hoop houses yeah. when you propagate because mm-hmm. that is, you know, a very, it's like a bullseye yep. for pests. And, and so you apply it when you spread it out. But because we've planted a cover crop of rye and clover that we've allowed to grow out in select areas, we've planted 3,400 trees and shrubs and, and really let the, um, the riparian buffer around the natural stream that, r- that grows through, mm-hmm. uh, or sorry, runs through our, our farm grow out. All of a sudden, you've got an existing habitat. And what you're looking for is balance. You're not looking to completely eliminate aphids. You just don't want them to infest your crop. So that type of thinking, you look at it and you go, okay, environmentally sustainable. I believe that resonates with consumers. You're going beyond organic practices, and mm-hmm. you're showing, you're showing how you're pushing this industry forward. And then, you know, I'm a I'm a finance major. 
Now you're a farmer, but yeah. I'm all sorts of things. But, but uh, you know, I, I, I'll, or I'll claim to be anyway. But, um, you know, you, you look at it and you say, okay, environmental initiatives, like usually I kind of roll my eyes and go, it's going to take three or five years to pay off. It's paying off now. I mean, you know, we, we, we've we reduced our spend of beneficials by, you know, at least $250,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's cost a bit to put the trees in, et cetera, but it's it's a rounding error compared to... That's a one-time the, cost. The cost. It's a one-time right. cost, and it gives back, right? Mm-hmm. Planting the cover crop is part of our, you know, and, and we're actually planting cover crop where we're not planting our field. And the reason for that is it remediates the soil. It adds mm-hmm. uh, nutrients like nitrogen um, and carbon back into the soil. It creates organic living matter. And so by giving back to the soil, we're adding nutrients in and we're starting to close the loop on outside supplements. So, you know, we still did bring in compost. We still did till. There are practices that we're going to have to take, but we're weaning off and we're trying to close the loop. Um, and why that's important is, again, I think it, it's, it's about doing the right thing. We believe that consumers want this in their product. You look at millennials and you look at Gen Z, this is something that clearly resonates. You look at any other consumer goods industry, it resonates with those demographics in particular and it happens to be good financially so why not do it and why not bring that forward as a part of the conversation piece about cannabis and about 48 north um but you know we're we're actually we're offering contract manufacturing services now out of our infrastructure and and so it's like we don't want to just we don't just want 48 north's to be products to be doing it this way we want everybody's products to be moving towards this and we grow indoors too it's not perfect we need to improve. We we can boast about you know recyclable packaging. How much of it actually gets recycled? Right. Not I, that much. I see a bunch on my street. So yeah. so there's there are many things that we need to continue to do. But I think LPs, if we want to have a voice in, in public discourse and we want to be good partners societally, mm-hmm. we can rail against the different levels of government and regulators. But we can also highlight things that we are doing well, and we can we can press that and move the industry forward. And if you're coming to you know whether it be the OCS or Health Canada or whoever and you're saying listen you know here here are the things that the regulation is impeding us from doing that are, that would be positive for the environment etc and it achieves the goals of public health it, it helps stamp out you know the the illicit market there's all sorts of benefits um, that you can talk about it but if you show with that and, and, and you show good 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 and win 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 across a variety of sectors why don't we as an industry approach them that way a little bit more instead of being combative. So, so they bang them over the head. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's, but let, let's start by doing it right. 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 And, and then bang them over the head. And, yeah, well, if they don't listen the first or second time, right. but I, but I, I believe in a more collaborative approach that's required and we have to be leaders. Um, if, if, if we want to, if we want to earn that type of respect and that kind of dialogue, I think from the different levels of government, then we have to show ourselves to be worthy of that and, and good actors. I, I think so too. And, and I want to, test a theory or ask okay. you about a theory I have, even though, or maybe a thesis. Um, the industry is so new, so that, that mm-hmm. is a given. And we're really, you know, we're not even, I don't even think we're in phase one because we barely have retail in Ontario and, you know, COVID has thrown things back in a weird loop. Uh, and Quebec is not fully ramped up, neither is BC. Like there's a whole bunch of things right. that are not there yet. But in the realm of sort of things that uh, companies have gotten right and wrong over time, like I would rather have a brand and then dial in the operations, as opposed to have operations dialed in and then figure out how to actually, you know, deliver a promise to consumers. And 48 North certainly has delivered a brand, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's one that, you know, I think uh, cannabis consumers who know what they're thinking about and educated, they, they know it. Uh, it. It has a promise. It has a 
sort of look and feel and people know what it is. Um, and not every brand has that. Or not, every, not every company has a brand yet. Um, but the idea that you could dial in the, the operations as you were talking about, but the brand is really, can be very elusive. And that part you've got dialed in. First of all, thank I, you for saying I that. I, 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 think, um, I think the world of, of the 48 North brand, that's <laughs> actually why I'm here. Um, I can't, Not I was, because you had the shirt and you wanted to. Well, I, I bought the shirt first, and then I figured <laughs> I needed somewhere to be able to wear it. It's good. Uh, but no, I really was attracted. I mean, I look, I saw a company that won brand of the year in 2018 and did not have a retail product out. Yeah. Or was it 2019? Anyway, yeah. one brand of the year didn't have a retail product in market, right? I mean, that is unbelievable. And, and our chief marketing officer, Kirsten Gauthier, is she's special, she's special. Yeah. she is an unbelievable talent mm -hmm. and the team that she has built i mean I, I i get so fired up when i when i go by and one of the things i miss most about the office is and we've actually moved offices during COVID, so now our our, our new office is super dystopian everything's wrapped in plastic right. right but but at the old office she sat in a corner and i had to walk to go see her i had to walk by the marketing department and with an open office you can see their screens mm -hmm. And just like you would see the sell sheets and the beauty of the, the, the retail displays mm -hmm. that they're putting up. And it, like I come from manufacturing, right, of food for main, mainly private label and, and cigarettes, mm -hmm. right? So I'm used to sell sheets that are like an Excel document. You might have the logo printed in color <laughs> right. on the top left. So the point is they're putting out works of art. They've got all the branding elements and all, the, all that part of it that's sort of the mystique, right, of, of what is a brand. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny, like you mentioned it the hard parts, right? And to me, that's the complexity, the art of, of what a company has to do to build a brand. It, 80 or 90% of the complexity is why does a consumer want it? Who are you? What is the value proposition? What's the target market? Why, the why, right? And, and, and what's it gonna look like? And all, all that, and that we've always done well. The 20% that historically we, we, we hadn't had and that I'm excited to tell you mm -hmm. how we've changed that mm -hmm. is the actual getting it out to market. Mm -hmm. But if you flip that from the consumer standpoint, maybe 20% of it is the appeal and the mystique. If you don't have that 80% of, hey, I've got your product, I can try it, I can enjoy it, and I can have that available across a variety of outlets so that I can enjoy that experience consistently mm -hmm. and, and give you my business consistently. And, and if you don't have the product, then I don't really believe that you have a brand. You have all of the elements of branding and that's what we've always done well. So, so to come in, the good news is that's fixable. Like I said, from the right. complexity from a, com a company standpoint, I think that's, that's the simplest format. You know? and, and that's where we've got an outstanding team um, at 48 North and, and at, the, at our Goodhouse facility in Brantford in particular is where we transform the product. So you know, Delshen up north is really our cultivation facility in Kirkland Lake. Mm -hmm where I know you've got some roots. I do. Well, yeah. my, my wife does, but my mother-in-law yeah. is amazingly from Kirkland Lake. It's all in the family. That's yeah. right. Yeah. right. Um, but it's not like we vacation there, but uh, yeah, well, we aim to go up this summer. You really ought to, but try to avoid deer fly season. Yes, um, which is most of the summer. I don't know. Yeah, which is most of the summer. <laughs> yeah. There's great hunting and fishing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an outdoor paradise yeah. up there. It's very um, far. And they grow incredible cannabis. Yeah. There's a, it's a beautiful facility, and the team up there has just, is just dialed in, right? And they grow indoor sort of small batch craft style cannabis, mm -hmm. sorry. Okay. And that's great. We've got the farm, mm -hmm. we're growing to regenerative agricultural and organic standards. Mm -hmm. We're super fired up about it. There's, there's different form factors, but then, you know, you mentioned it earlier, having the operations and having the scale and the infrastructure is great and all, but what do you sell and what do you commercialize? Mm -hmm. 
So this is why at the farm we're looking, okay, what can we actually sell through this year? And what are the form factors? What are we cultivating for? And so what our good house facility is all about is, first of all, we've got Fume Labs, which is mm -hmm. our, our, our partnership with Humble and Fume, which mm -hmm. is our extraction and vape filling capacity. And we've got our, our branded products like our packs. Um, pods are made mm -hmm. there for, for trail mix. Mm -hmm. There's some uh, Fume Labs branded product coming out as well and 48 North branded product, uh, the trail mix all ones, et cetera. So that comes out of there. Uh, it's an outstanding facility. We're really happy with that partnership. And then we've got automated packaging lines for baggable flour and, uh, and for pre-roll uh, manufacturing. Uh, and we, uh, we have um, our semi-automatic topicals manufacturing line and we're, we're pressing hash. Um, so it's like a lot of fun. It's, it's, it, we've <laughs> got to have you there because honestly, it's so much fun. And I'm a factory mm -hmm. nerd, right? Like yeah. I said, I'm a manufacturing yeah. guy. So I walk in there and it's funny with COVID, right? Like people just haven't gone, right? right. It's only essential right. personnel. Um, and with some of the loosening of restrictions in very select cases, we're wearing PPE everywhere, yeah. we're being very safe. But, you know, our, one of our sales guys went through there and he goes, holy shit, I got yeah. lost in there. Yeah, like it's, it's really. It's, it's, complete, sure. it's completely transformed. Yeah. But it's fun because, you know, you've now got that ability to concurrently sort of manufacture all these products. And, and finally, we have yeah. that ability to, to sustain our product on shelf and, you know, sort of be in full, on time, to spec every time. That's, mm. that's what the provinces and the retailers want to oh, see. Yeah. And that's, that's been where if we haven't delivered our brand promises by not delivering the flower to the people, right? right? We haven't yeah. actually gotten it out there. And so that's our motto yeah. probably forever, but at least for the coming year is yeah. flower to the people because it's getting it from cultivation out there into a, into a product. That's where this industry has struggled, right? And, and you could go down a number of reasons, but you're absolutely right. I came because I saw a brand, a company that had brand, that needed some help getting product out the door. And so, you know, even internally, people ask the question, they go, okay, Charles is somebody who's comes from really intention, intensive operational backgrounds. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for 48 North brand strategy? And it's very simple. Everything that we do is in service of the 48 North brand. So I looked at where we were as a brand and we, we, we looked at the supply chain across the industry and we didn't feel that we would be well served by going with a variety of different co-packers. We said, if we really want to be a serious player, we need to be reliable. We need to be really viewed as a key supplier to the provinces. They need to know that they can count on us. And we weren't always there. And we've had good conversations and we've been open and transparent. We've worked really hard over the last, call it six, seven, eight months to get there. And certainly since the start of COVID, we, we kicked it into overdrive. To, ju to just get there because we wanted to build a world-class infrastructure because we feel we have a world-class brand. Yeah. And, and it's like I said earlier, un unless you have that product and that fulfillment capacity, you don't truly get there as a brand. So, so everything for that is in service of brand. And then we look at it and we say, great, we've got capacity now. This industry needs that type of service. How do we transform great cannabis or even good cannabis mm -hmm. into a retail product that consumers will want? in a variety of different form factors. And so we look at it, we've got that infrastructure and there's a number of brands um, that, that we're working with to, to co-pack um, at different levels of, of sort of the value chain, mm -hmm. whether you know it's just a brand company or um, that, that's got a really unique sort of value proposition and marketing angles or, or retailers or other LPs that need some services. But you know, th this is what, again, you know, we say we wanna move the practices forward. We wanna kind of raise the bar as a standard we know we have to raise it for ourselves and, and we want to bring the industry forward with us. And one of the things that, um, in addition to all the things you said, um, I think one of the first topicals 
that yes. were on the market was through you guys. And it really is, and we were talking about before we came on, that that there are things to look ahead to, markets that are way ahead of us, California, Colorado. We check in with mm-hmm. BDSA, which is a consumer insights company on a weekly basis. And when they give a presentation about what it looks like in Colorado and California and other places, it's like they're giving a presentation about very specific niches that we don't even have yet. Right? And it's like, to me, when I get up, I was like, that is amazing because everything is ahead of us, including topicals, including, you know, very specific flavor profiles yeah. of vape pens or, or it's, edibles. and We're just scratching the surface, right? Yeah. And it's funny because we talk about who's ahead and who's behind. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a sweeping generalization that California is ahead in certain respects, right? In terms mm-hmm. of having a regulated landscape yeah. and the kinds of infrastructure and like Canadian companies and Canadian LPs are really impressive yeah. in how, you know, we've had to build in that rigor and that structure and in a certain way, how to sell through a regulated system, how to collect mm-hmm. from your, from, you know, from your receivables right. is still a challenge in, in a lot of the states, the banking system, the infrastructure. So, so there is progress here, but from a consumer standpoint, without a doubt. Yeah. And the data and the segmentation is what's going to come. So we look at this industry, it's a consumer packaged goods industry. And we say like any other, we say it internally anyway, because we don't like excuses. Oh, it's cannabis and it's difficult because we just don't feel that. But it's it's complicated, it's complex, it's new, but it's not necessarily more so than pharma, food, tobacco, right. alcohol, in terms of regulation. So there's that aspect of it, but it's, it is different in that it's it's nascent. And it's a lot of the elements that, um, that we can that everybody's talking about apart from you know lack of brand recognition to lack of consumer education about the categories etc etc it it's a it's a swirl it's it's a real swirl right now so it's tough for people to kind of um muddle muddle through and figure it out until that ecosystem kind of but but this is this is this is goes back to the sort of branding elements that to go into it with like this is our audience this is what they care about yeah this is how we're going to talk to them. This is how we're going to present it visually in our content and like in every aspect. Here are the products we're going to create, like actually having a target you're moving towards and, and putting the products in, in place to do that as opposed to having the products and trying to figure out the audience. It's, a, it's yeah. two different sides of the, of the thing. You're, you're right. It's two different sides of the coin. So you're right. So we, we flood it here. There they are segmenting. But remember, they've had, there, ha- there has been that wave of flooding, right? Yeah. And so you look at it again, like who's ahead and who's behind. You you say, okay, they have so many suppliers and so many brands, and you walk into a dispensary, and and, and it is quite confusing. Yeah. So is it completely mature yet? No, no not no. so. They're ahead in certain respects in terms of understanding and developing categories and the way that they've refined products and and the way that production methodology they can be a lot more innovative on on the product side right. than we can in this regulated space so you're right it's 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 a good it's a good thing to look at and for us to learn from it you can't necessarily infer data one to one like i'll right. give you yeah. an example yeah. I was, when i was in the food business right, and again i was making mm-hmm. private label cereal bars mostly mm-hmm. right and you'd look at a vanilla rice crispy square powder mm-hmm. We couldn't call it that in private right. label. A crispy yeah. rice marshmallow square. So a vanilla. <laughs> is that what we cri- called it. Had to. It's good. Uh, rice Krispies is a Kellogg's. Yeah, no, no, I know for, that. For, we for, have for the record. My kids. Are, <laughs> so, my, but, my, uh. but the point is, you know, you, so you had you had your your vanilla skew, right? And your vanilla for a national chain would be national brand equivalent. What the Kellogg's product was like, mm-hmm. plus or minus a few claims mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. different price point. When you had regional grocery chains, what? A preference for a vanilla or a chocolate or a caramel would be different 
based on the region, right? Some areas are sweeter. Mm -hmm. Some areas mm. are, oh, yeah. And like chocolates and, and like southwest U.S. versus southeast, like two different types yeah, of chocolate. Yeah, I believe that. So you can generalize. You can have mm -hmm. your mass market one. Mm -hmm. But then you can have sort of more regionalized preferences. And you see this. It's, it's a banal example, but you see it across a variety of different industries. So if, if we look at California as a market and say that will apply broadly to the Canadian consumer, I don't think that's true. I think if you look at wine or beer sales, for example, right, you'll say you'll see certain brands do well because of availability, mm -hmm. because of preferences, climate, sometimes mm -hmm. any number of reasons, socioeconomic factors, you name it. So cannabis is going to segment and we look at, you know, we'll talk even internally at 48 North about a category of vapes. That's not really a category. That's way too broad for us it's to consider it, right? So is it a full spectrum, winterized oil? Right. Is it a distillate-based pen? Within distillate, there's different categories, right? And so, you know, you can say, every company will say, we want a top-performing skew in this category. But what is that category? Right. Is it vapes at large? Well, vapes at large, you haven't done your homework, right? And, and it's tough. I, I don't mean to denigrate. No, no. It's tough. There's not a lot of data. So you're working with retailers. You're working with the provinces. OCS puts out good data. Right, you have companies like the, but, but but this is a good question is the data it's based on so i, I was thinking back the first couple months of ocs sales in, in yeah. 2018 there were some companies like we have 10 percent of the market share in ontario well yes but you have 30 percent of the shelf space the equivalent of a shelf space so you're actually you're actually not doing you're not living up to your potential people aren't buying your shit just the 10 percent of the people it, are actually without a doubt without yeah. a doubt you know the game the name of the game is sell through you right. look. You look at the data they just published. That was up, up until March yeah. 31st, and so uh, if you think about legalization of 2.0 products, they were barely on the shelf. They, they were, were barely like, on the not shelf. even a they month. They were barely on the shelf. Right. So to infer market share from that is tough. Yeah. Right. It's it's availability of product. We're f that's where it becomes a challenge, right? Like if you were a demand planner for Nestle, your products have been in market. You might launch new products and and, and innovate in new categories, but by and large, your, your, your stability of demand is pretty well known, and, and you, you can plan. In this industry, right, it's, it's, there's a variety of, uh, of shocks that will happen, right? The consumer will start to look at their preferences. Brands will start to resonate, I believe, and that's, you yeah. know, we, we mentioned it before we came yeah. live, but I thought I'd bring it back up because, you know what, I, I've seen that article shared, and you mentioned brand and, and our focus at 48 North, so a lot of people shared it with me. Right. Brands are not resonating with consumers, says Bloomberg or whatever, right. whatever poll. And my reaction to that was what a tremendous opportunity. And, you know, if we had seen that 90 or 85 or 75% of brand rec belonged to three or four or five players, that would have worried me. The fact that it has brands have yet to resonate says a lot. It, and, and well, it says a lot about the huge ass companies that are that spent all the money to do it and didn't it didn't work to to a or, degree. Yeah. But they but they spent a lot of money on things right like making sure the product was available and, yeah. and, and trying to stuff some channels that yep. weren't yet open. Right, right. So it, it might have worked differently if there had been a thousand stores in Ontario and the only thing available and the only it's show tweet. in town right. was yeah. yeah. I'll but, say it. You don't have to. Thank you. But, you know, and but you look at it and, and frankly, the whole market was set up in a strange way. Look at the history. Like you talked about a year ago, 18 months ago, 48 North, our business was selling wholesale to large LPs so they could keep their supply commitment. Right. Right. So the whole yeah. industry yeah. became and then they got they brought on capacity. And now they have too much capacity. And now they have too <laughs> much capacity. And then and so we're we're actually we're it's funny. We're, I feel like we're at 
a really interesting place because we fortunately have not had to do layoffs. We haven't because we we didn't get to that sprawl. We whether by luck or by design, and I you you right in the middle. <laughs> sure, you pick you pick which percentage went where. But the point is like we we've we've sort of we've right sized our operations where we need to be, and now now we're hitting a, a growth spurt because we're listed now in seven out of ten Canadian provinces. Right. You know we've got flour pre rolls. Sorry, go back a year. We had flour in Quebec. Mm-hmm. We had yet to just baggable. We had yet to launch our pre rolls in Ontario. I think those came shortly mm-hmm. thereafter, and then we launched pre rolls in Alberta, and then we didn't really launch anything for quite a while. We now have flour, pre-roll, vapes, topicals, and hash listed in, in you know, not every SKU is listed mm-hmm. in every province. For example, Quebec mm-hmm. can't take 2.0. But basically everything that can be listed in every province is across seven provinces. Yeah. And we're seeing sell-through and we're seeing repeat. And, we're, and that's hugely encouraging. And so we feel like there, it, we're, we're here at a really interesting moment in time for 48 North. Because a lot of the big players went out and had these operations and... and I don't envy their problems, and it's tough to see around the industry, right? People losing their jobs. It's really, really hard. And I don't envy those leadership teams having to make the decisions that they do, and you certainly feel for the families that are affected and people losing their jobs. But from a 48 North perspective, you look at that and you say, you know, we have been fortunate, and we have, I believe, been at least responsible enough to, to keep our powder dry and to, to, to not go into that sprawl. Because the opportunity is here, and it's coming now. Yeah. You're seeing stores open now, and we, you know, again, by luck or by design, our license we got a processing license at our automation facility maybe a month and a half, two months ago, right? right? Like the point is, like, we're coming online with our infrastructure now. We're coming on with supply and with products now. You see the brands haven't resonated. Yeah, sure, they haven't resonated. And so while other players in this industry are going to be figuring out. Unfortunately, and how they have to grow while shrinking, right? How they yeah. have to get and 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 playing with 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 those budgets and going through those difficult conversations. You, you, the focus is going to have to necessarily be in part there, and where we are fortunate is, I'm surrounded by an unbelievable team, like unbelievably mm-hmm. talented people. We are growing responsibly. We have spent the capital that needs to be spent by and large. I mean, in the last quarter, our fiscal year end was, was June 30th. By that point, we spent the large majority of the capital that needs to be spent. Our growth we are looking for is organic from our branded side. We're looking to work with best-in-class brands, like we're doing with PAX, mm-hmm. like we're doing with shoppers. You know, PAX is, you know, is a great platform, but also by working with some really great branded partners for our white-label services. We're working with Fume Labs. I mean, it's, it's, this, it's this really exciting time at the company, and people are buying in. And we're facing it. Look, I got named CEO of this company on March 9th. Okay, four days later, we were going into lockdown. COVID. Right, lockdown. And what a what a what a management challenge. What a leadership challenge. And 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 honestly, and you can I can look in the mirror, and then I look at the my employees and and the people that I work with and my teammates, and I go, man, like we've got people in there who are single mothers who have two kids at home who are now got them all day, and they're usually they're they're at school yeah. or they're at daycare or they're. And, and, and now they're doing, like Cheryl Sandberg called it double-double duty. Yeah. You're talking about families that, are, like, I grew up in a big, happy family, but not every moment was bliss in Nirvana, right? right? So the point is, like, people have gone through an unbelievable challenge. We've had to manage a leadership transition, our quote-unquote arrival, like, as we launch right. a record amount of product on Teams and, and phone calls. And, and 
and people have risen to the occasion. So I'm, I'm not the most spiritual or usually reflective of people. Uh, I'm kind of, you know, kind of uh, type do, do, A. Yeah. But even last night, as I was thinking about coming on here today, I'm like, man, I, I you know. I personally, and we as a county, have so much to be grateful for with the group of people, the timing. It just seems to be falling into place. There are still headwinds. We still have to show people we can execute. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about it because right. I'm seeing it happen. Mm-hmm. Doing right? it as the balance. In, in, yeah. Investors and capital markets are going to have to see it because we've got a lot to uh, we've got a lot to prove mm-hmm. out there. Retailers say, hey, we love your products. Let's make sure you guys are in stock. Great, we can show that now. The provinces, right, that are saying, "Hey, are you the?" So we've we've got a lot, and ultimately, obviously, the consumers, they're who are who are we feel the most important in in all of that have to have to choose to continue to trust, and and increasingly choose to trust the Forty Eight North branded family of products. So you know we're getting there. We're looking at you know topicals is a really exciting one where we've come out first and loud, and we're looking at what other kind of wellness products can we what, what can we do differently. Because we are speaking to a group of customers there that are underserved by the market. Absolutely. Tra- traditionally, 48 North has done that. Yeah. Right. Our, our Latitude publication is a great example. It speaks to women in cannabis. And it's an omni-channel publication. We did events when we yeah. could. And that's that's part of We Feel Building a Brand, right? Our Fate Accessories line is, is a... It's, it's, to us, it's, it's not something that we look to be a profit driver for the company, but creating a halo effect, creating a... Uh, a, a brand and a real sort of family of brands that are going to bring people in and they understand that when they have a 48 North branded product or something that's made means something. in our facilities, it means something in terms of quality, in terms of the authenticity of the brand and the experience that you're going to get in terms of, of, you know, natural, certainly when we're going outdoor, we've, we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. uh, the way that we're treating that product. So we, we want it to mean something. Well, this has been amazing. And it, I think I'm only going to talk to 48 North people outside. From, the, from, from now on. Well, we're only going to be outside. We're going so to be outside. We're going to be outside. We'll be at the Good Farm. Maybe we'll even be up in Kirkland. Like, that'd so, be amazing. Well, if we're in Kirk, like, listen, outside, <laughs> I told you avoid, I told you avoid deer fly season, but you might not like it anymore in January. No, no, February, definitely so not. Outside. No, no. There's a very slim, well, slim there's level. a window. The, the shoulder seasons is when we'll, uh, that, we'll head up. That's right. That's right. That's right. Hey, thanks so much for stopping by. It's been great Appreciate to connect it. with you and uh, good luck as the, uh, as the harvest grows. Appreciate it very much. And I look forward to having you out there when, uh, circumstances permit. I love it. Love it. Stay safe. Thanks. Take care.